You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. For a lot of people, and if you've never really done anything with nutrition, it's back to basics, right? It's kind of like you need to be able to fuel these efforts to be allowed to race them. So before we start thinking about half marathon, let's get back and get the basics, lay the good foundation of good habits, sleep, hydration, nutrition, lifestyle, and then let's start building upon that before we think about too much about, all right, I'm gonna hit the training plan hard. That was Stevie Lynn Smith. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I hope you weren't hit too hard by Hurricane Henri this past weekend. I was out racing Ironman's iconic 70.3 Timberman in New Hampshire where I had a perfect swim and half of a great bike until the torrential rain came down while I was climbing and doing steep descents. I was definitely terrified. It was dark and there were very few other riders on the road. My mental game was done. I rode into transition and set out on my run. Again, in torrential wind and rain. It was a very long day. I learned a lot of really awesome, invaluable lessons about myself, but I'm back in New York City and I'm on the move. I am psyched to bring you today's guest, and the timing couldn't be more perfect. Stevie Lynn Smith is a registered dietitian, sports nutrition specialist, and founder of Stevie Lynn Smith Nutrition Wellness Consulting. She is also a marathon runner, 10-time Ironman athlete, and adventurer. Stevie also writes for my favorite wellness company and podcast partner, Inside Tracker. Today, Stevie and I sync up about all things endurance sports nutrition, from fueling and hydration on race day to building nutrition into your overall training plan leading into your race. Stevie sheds light on a few examples of tests you can do to figure out how much hydration you actually need on race day and during your training with a simple sweat test. We also talk about Stevie's recent diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis and how she is shifting gears in her endurance sports, but still keeping things moving. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code CHEERSMARNIE for 25% off. Now, on to my conversation with Stevie Lynn Smith. How did you get into the Ironman and triathlon and all of that? So I got into, oh man, um, I've been an athlete all of my life. So, you know, always kind of played every sport, tried every sport. Soccer and lacrosse stuck the most. Uh, I played lacrosse my first year of college. I was a goalie by the way, which (laughs) you do, you people are like, Oh, everything makes sense. Now we're like a little bit of a special breed, but I hated running. Like when it was the timed mile in gym class, my teachers were like, Smith, you are an athlete. You need to do this in under 10 minutes. And I would huff and puff and puff and like roll my eyes and like do it begrudgingly. But fast forward to my sophomore year of college, I decided lacrosse wasn't for me. I wanted to focus on school transferred out to a different school but I like just stopped exercising because I was so burnt out like d3 it was d3 
I was like, this is too much work for division three. Yeah. I'm not getting any money for this. I don't enjoy it anymore. So I was like, I'm done. So I did like one semester of like not exercising. And it was the only time I was never active in my life. And I was like, I'm going to start running. Uh. So in 2008, I was like, run a quarter mile, like walk a quarter mile. Like I couldn't run more than a quarter mile at once. And then, uh, it just kind of like by 2009, I did my first road race, which was a full marathon, the Buffalo marathon. And, uh, then I met some triathletes kind of taught myself how to swim. I mean, I took swim lessons as a kid, but I was never a competitive swimmer. Right. And then bought a bike in 2011. I signed up for my first 70.3. And then, uh, by yeah, 2012 was my first full. So, so I feel like you're a few years ahead of me with the training. I mean, I started like in 2011. Like I started doing, yep. I've always been athletic, but I've never, I was never doing races. And then I started, I started with running too. I mean, I love running. So that yep. was my Same. happy place. And, you know, I was always running and I also love cycling. I did not know how to swim. I mean, I knew how to swim from the perspective of I was, you know, spent the first part of my athletic and I do the air quotes career as a windsurfer. <laughs> so I spent a lot oh, of time cool. sailing and on the water, but not in the water. So the only time I would mm-hmm. swim is like if I got thrown off my board and had to go get it, you know, but that was it. Yeah. Like there was no, that was probably 10 meters, you know, not even. So swimming right. was a whole new game for me really, you know, you're for your recreation and for fun, you're doing all these races and triathlon. But really what you do as a career is you are a registered dietitian and board certified in sports nutrition. When did those two things come together for you? Yeah, so those came probably started to come together around 2016, 2017. I know a lot of dietitians get into the field being like, totally all in. I'm going to be a sports dietitian. This is what I want to do. I love sports, being an athlete. And I love being an athlete, but that was never like my intention. Um, I just knew that I took a, just like a basic nutrition course, my freshman or sophomore year. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So that's why I transferred to kind of get myself on the path to be a registered dietitian and switch to get my bachelor's of science in dietetics and nutrition And all I really knew is that I wanted to help people and I really liked food, but like being an athlete was just another aspect of my life. Right. And I just kind of like, let's see where this goes. And I worked as a clinical dietitian uh, in, so in the hospital setting, inpatient, outpatient, variety of disease states from head and neck cancer to home care to, you know, inpatient uh, nutrition so that was in DC and I was there for six years. And then, you know, just by the nature of being an athlete and an Ironman athlete, I kind of started to just read more on the sports nutrition side and right. start to learn because of course, diet, you know, becoming a dietitian, there's many things you learn, you know, everything about, I'm looking, my standing desk here is some of my textbooks, like meta, you know, food in the nutrition care process, advanced nutrition and human metabolism understanding food so you learn a lot but sports nutrition at least in the program I'm in was not obviously a focus so I started to just gain the knowledge where I could on the side then some doors opened up in the endurance sports world because you know you have those two things I'm an athlete I understand what it takes to train and race an Ironman but then I also have all of this nutrition knowledge So that kind of started to happen on the side. And then at the, what, start of 2018, I decided to kind of go all in on sports nutrition. I quit my full-time government job in DC, moved back to Buffalo, started to work on my master's degree from Northeastern in uh, nutrition with a sports and fitness concentration and was like, all right, we're going to do this and see what happens and see how kind of the chips continue to fall. So So, and so you have your CSSD. Yes. Yeah. So for that, you have to be practicing as a dietitian. I believe it's, is it five years, two years? Someone might correct me, but you have to have already been practicing as a dietitian for a few years. And then you need um, a certain number of hours, either 1200 or 1500. 
and then you can apply to sit for the board exam then study for the board exam. So I waited until 2020 to get it because, you know, some of my master's degree and also that work experience I could use for the hours. And then since it was COVID, my test actually got canceled three times. Oh my God. <laughs> so I just like kept studying over and over again. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> let this just be done. Yeah. Oh, so it was, it was in person. Like you had to go in in person. It wasn't digital or online. Got it. Yeah. I mean, it was online, but you had to, of course, go to like the testing center, right? Got it. Yeah. You can't look up the answers. So right. yeah, it was, it was a little bit, you know, everyone has the, you know, we all had our different obstacles and struggles, but I was, I'm, I don't like tests. It's not really my jam. So like the standardized tests are just, they're, they're, they're no fun for me. So yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, so what are some of the biggest things that you kind of learned with endurance sports fueling and nutrition that maybe you didn't know before just as an athlete and how have these things kind of helped you with training and racing mm-hmm. yeah so I mean we all learn we all make mistakes it's always good to learn from our mistakes I think about how I fueled my first Ironman and I was like wow did I get lucky like I think I was eating cliff bars and I was like, there's so much fiber in those, oh you know, now God. looking back, um, I was like, wow, I was like, I had a great day. It was like the perfect day. You know, I had a great race. It was a blast. So I think about things like that, but of course it was like, it was very good to learn while I was training. Right. And it really did teach me hands-on. Of course I knew nutrition was important. Right. But when you're training 15, 16, 17, you know, 20 hours a week, it's even more critical. Like I tell people who are looking to do their first, any sort of long course, 70.3 Ironman, if you don't approach your nutrition day to day, both in and out of training, like you probably don't have any business racing racing these events because it's just, it's about being responsible, right? To make sure you're staying healthy, strong, not injuring yourself. Thankfully, I was never... Um, in the start of my running career, I had some pretty bad stress fractures. I stress fractured, stress fractured the neck of my femur. Oh my God. <laughs> so yes, that was pretty bad. And that was a big learning experience. And I was like, okay, like I got to figure this out. And uh, so that was a good lesson. But otherwise, thankfully, I stayed pretty healthy yeah. um, throughout the rest of my training. But, you know, it also taught me my experience as an athlete, but also a clinical dietitian, like how to be realistic. Yeah. Like Like, what can you really do? Yeah. Yes. And being like, okay, maybe these frozen green beans aren't perfect. You know, like they're not fresh. I would love to eat farm fresh green beans all the time, but they're, you know, what I could afford when I was on a budget. Ironman is very expensive. Yeah. And like a student not working full time. Um, and being like, all right, well, these are nutritious. Just kind of having that middle of ground, like everything isn't going to be perfect right? Um, or all organic. And that's okay as long as I'm fueling my body and I'm making sure I'm giving it enough and enough of, you know, nutrient-dense foods in the way that, you know, I made it work. And, I mean, you mentioned something really important when you were just talking about, you know, like you're, if you're not eating – healthy and fueling and getting enough, you didn't say this, but about the calories, but like getting enough calories in calories out. Like it's not just about race day. It's about all year round. It's about, you know, as soon as you start training and you start increasing your workload, you need to start increasing your calories. You need to think about what you're going to eat three days before you have a five hour bike ride, like all of those things. Mm -hmm. And what are the good things to eat? But I don't think that was on the radar screen for people until maybe the last, it feels like it just really came onto the radar as like one of the important elements of triathlon. Like it's cycling, running, swimming, and nutrition. Yes. Did you notice that in the last few years? Like it's just really come onto the radar screen? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because when I started, I mean, obviously people fueled and ate, but I just felt like it was just kind of like, oh yeah, like we're gonna like grab some Gatorade and like put have it on some our M&Ms. Bike and yeah, totally. <laughs> Stop and get Pick up some M&Ms McDonald's at the next gas station, right? Um, but not that they like it was all eating poorly, but now there's so many different. I feel like little different schools of thoughts, and people take different approaches, yeah. and you know, people are a, a little bit more passionate about it. But I also think 
unfortunately it's come into light in a negative way, right? Kind of like diet culture in general, but also in sports. Um, so a lot of the people, my clients that I work with, they're like, okay, yeah, like I want to get healthy and I want to train for another half marathon. It's been a few years and, you know, but I know I need to lose some weight and this and that. And I say, all right, <laughs> let's rewind. And it's like for a lot of people, and if you've never really done anything with nutrition, it's back to basics, right? It's kind of like you need to be able to fuel these efforts to be allowed to race them. So before we start thinking about half marathon, let's get back and get the basics, lay the good foundation of good habits, sleep, hydration, nutrition, lifestyle, and then let's start building upon that before we think about too much about, all right, I'm going to hit the training plan hard, right? Yeah. Do you work with the coaches that are training the athletes or people that you're working with on nutrition to kind of put together your nutrition plan around their training plan? It depends really uh, from person to person and coach to coach. Yeah. Um, I do always, even if I don't communicate with the run or triathlon coach directly, I do always have everyone tell me like, okay, this is where I'm at in my training cycle. You know, if they're already into a big training plan and then kind of we look at the goals, see where they're at and say, okay, I know that we have this race coming up. And right now we're at this run volume. So then I can kind of go and look like, okay, we're in the base phase. So like during this, you know, we need to start to lay the foundation before you can start to transition in and, you know, do a big build cycle, right? Because that's when the intensity goes up, the energy expenditure is higher. So if we can't get the basics of like, mostly a lot of people I work with just flat out aren't eating enough. So I always joke and say that 95% of my job is telling people to eat more. Well, it's really Um, hard to get a lot of calories when you think about it. It's, it is challenging to eat because you really have to eat a lot. Like when you're training and even, you know, that's why smoothies are good to supplement and add into the mix. And I just put everything in a smoothie. But it, it is challenging Absolutely. and especially, you know, yeah, it's super challenging. Do you have some go-to staple foods that you're always like, you should eat this, you should eat that? Yeah. Well, of course, it depends on each person, yes. you know, what, you know, what their pre- preferences are. I feel very strongly as a dietitian that you are allowed to have food preferences, right? I, yeah. I once met a dietitian who was like, I can't believe adults who don't like X vegetable, they're an adult. They should like vegetables. I'm like, no, like. That's not how it Yeah. If you hate Brussels sprouts, no problem. There's lots of other green vegetables that you can eat instead. So it really depends on each person. But you mentioned smoothies. Right now is big smoothie season. Personally, I don't love smoothies because I really like actually eating. Yeah. (laughs) That's just more, I get more enjoyment. But, you know, it is a great tool, as you said, just to get just more nutrition in. But also with the heat, when our appetites are a little off, you know, for people who struggle when they're not hungry after their workouts, totally normal, but we still need to get some nutrition in post-workout. Actually, that happened to me today. I listed earlier and it's not like me to usually not have an appetite, but I was like, my stomach does not feel good. But I was like, all right, make a quick smoothie, have everything on hand because it's just so critical. Like you said, when you're training so much. And like you said earlier, like what you do on Wednesday is going to impact you, not just on that day and Thursday, but also on Sunday, if you have like a long run or a long ride. So yeah, just I, kind of staying ahead of the game. Yesterday, I had a horrible training day. I had a long, like two hour run, zone one or zone two. And I just was like, not, I, I don't know, my breakfast game is off right now. And Mm-hmm. I probably had like two slices of gluten-free toast. It's like no nutritional value whatsoever, but it was like calories. I know, I know. Yeah. I know it's bad. It's bad. I, I mean, mean I should have eaten oatmeal. Better than nothing? Yeah, it was better but... than nothing. It was it was horrible. It was a bad, epic failed training day. But I had good food the night before. So I was like, oh. So I, I had two slices of toast and I had already been like kind of nauseous, but Anyway, I had the two slices of toast. I'm like, look, this is going to be a bad day. Anyway, I shake it. So I'm going to have the toast. Then I'm going to go on my run. And if it sucks, Uh I'll come home. And I have gels, which I know are also equally awful. But 
it was an option for me. So I went out on my run and it totally did suck. And I did the whole thing. <laughs> I had, I don't know, I had like four gels. I came home. I ate like everything in the fridge that was healthy. Um, and I felt better. But it was not, I right. knew, I, w- I went into it like, and then even today, like I'm not so talking about uh-huh. e- appetite and eating. You know, I am just so used to waking up and having coffee and not eating for four hours. And as an, as a triathlete and training, I have to make like an extra effort to eat because once it's like 12, one o'clock, all of my training starts. What yeah. do you say to that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I have smoothies. What, uh, <laughs> Give it to me. What I know. do I say to yeah. that? Yeah. Oof. I would put you on the naughty list for <laughs> the putting coffee into your system first and then waiting four hours to eat. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially for females, right? And that you're training. Yeah. Um, Cause that can do a number on your hormone levels, you know, particularly looking at your cortisol, you know, my, I will admit my cortisol was a little bit high when I tested it last. Oh yeah. And I thought to my head and I said, okay, I love coffee too. So I was like, all right, we're going to drink eight to 12 ounces of water or water with noon before my first cup of coffee. Oh my god! Because gosh. I would do the coffee. I mean, I don't wait that. I eat usually with my coffee, at least a small snack. Yeah. But I was like, okay, I got to put myself in a little bit of time out here and like <laughs> drink some water, get the snack ready and then have the coffee. It's so, so funny because my, a friend of mine and a guest who's been on the podcast is telling me I should have green juice first thing in the morning before I have coffee. Morning. Yeah. What's your go-to morning <laughs> breakfast? Yes, my go-to morning breakfast. So I won't eat my steel-cut oatmeal before I work out. It does not work for my GI system. I keep it real simple as I tend to do my workouts first thing in the morning okay. now because yeah. ever since I started my business, it like my day just disappears and I work across time zones. So a lot of my calls tend to be towards the end of the day. Got it. So I also try to like not start my work day at like 8 a.m. Eastern. And then my last call I did it one time was like 8 p.m. Eastern. I was like, this was a bad idea. Yeah. Um, so after my workout, my go-to breakfast is steel cut oats, but I make a batch big enough for the week ahead of time. Ooh. And then I just reheat them throughout the week with frozen berries, uh, hemp hearts, chia seeds, sunflower seed butter, and then Maybe some dark chocolate if I'm feeling sporty. That's good. That that's sounds my, good. That's my breakfast. That sounds it's like some good, good additions too. I got I got really tired of the oatmeal. Like I've been eating it my whole life basically, like the last mm-hmm. 10 years. And I was like, what can I mix it up with? I am gluten-free, dairy-free, mm-hmm. like all free. I have like so many food yeah, issues, not allergies, yep. but issues. And um, yeah. The Bob's Red Mill steel yeah, cut oats are that's gluten-free. What, that's so. – yeah, those, that's what I've been eating for the last 10 years for breakfast every okay, day. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, they're my favorite. I feel like I'm – I know, they are – they're really good. I like to cook it – it's almost like my coffee process. You know, I wake up, I start the oatmeal, then I forget it's on the stove, I burn it, and then I'm like, shit, what's that noise? <laughs> no, I really right. – no, back – yeah, I love, I love the Bob's Red Mill steel-cut oatmeal that's gluten-free. So good. But I needed to take a break, so I've been doing like Udi's bread toast, which is obviously not good, yep. not bad. Like it's in between. I mean, it's calories. There's maybe like a little teeny weeny bit of nutrition on some small level, yeah. but at least it gets things going for me to kind of like then say, oh, maybe I'll have a smoothie next that yeah. has actual nutrients in it. And by lunch, I'm eating like that's you know yeah. But yeah, it takes totally a while. Fine. Yeah. So for yeah, like. Everybody's different. One of the foods that's like my staple besides the steel cut oatmeal. I, I love sweet potatoes. Like that is a food oh, yeah. that's like my go to. I try to have yep. a few sweet potatoes and avocados. Like what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. Love them. Here for it. Here for that energy. Love sweet potatoes. I love roasting them with a little cinnamon on them. Get that sweetness yeah. out. So good. Yeah, love avocados too. I actually just tried frozen avocado. I saw them at Wegmans. Obviously, definitely not the same, not the real deal, but they're still the good. Game, yeah. Yeah. The avocado game around here has been sad lately. 
Um, so it was like a nice tool to have. Well, but nothing I mean, is better than the perfect avocado. Yes, that's true. But I also love frozen avocados because, again, like – I am looking to get as much nutrition as possible in every way I can. So I, I also add them to my smoothies with bananas and everything else because you don't even taste them and they have like all this great nutritional value. And yeah, nutri- yeah. and avocados are like very challenging to manage as a food because as soon as you buy them, you have to kind of eat them or you have to like, it's like a whole waiting game, you know, so. Right. And then the ones that never get right or the ones that deceive you and they're already bad, so do you have like how do you determine what kind of amount of calories calories out calories in an athlete should be having during their training like is there a formula or like that you use or some kind of something that you could share yeah so typically i do tdee all the e's so total daily energy expenditure i knew i was gonna like totally that's all right (laughs) butcher that Um, but basically this is BMR. So what you need to be alive plus TEF, which is the thermic effect of food, or basically what you burn eating food Mm -hmm. plus your TEA, your thermic effect of activity. So exercise and then meat, NEAT. So non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So any activity that is not exercise. So I do this little calculation Um, And I kind of use this as a starting point. Of course, it's not a perfect science, right? We're not in a lab. Um, Use this as a starting point, kind of look at each client's history. You know, unfortunately, I've had a lot of people kind of on that yo-yo dieting. So, you know, it's, it's, it's usually a lot of time spending reverse dieting, bringing them up. Like I said, 95% of my job is telling people to eat more, but I would say that with the major, maybe except for like one or two of my clients, I don't tend to talk calories or macros. Okay. You don't. So I don't tend to, or at least give them like, here are your numbers. You need X amount of calories per day. I might mention it on like our first consults, I have it to my knowledge, um, but a lot of the people I tend to work with, it will do more harm than good Okay, yeah. <laughs> to tell them exactly what they need to eat because then they're going to be so focused where, again, it's kind of going back to basics and laying that foundation of like, this is how you balance a meal. Like I use performance plates, little diagrams are one of the things I use with a lot of people and how I work with my clients. One of the big ways we communicate is through a food and mood journal. So on my end, I can see the nutrition information. So I can see where they're following calorie, protein, you know, even like fiber, saturated fat, break it all down. And then I can kind of then guide my feedback to be like, hey, maybe if you added avocado to this meal, you know, if they're falling a little bit short and just kind of give them more real life examples of like, oh, this was a great start, but like, this is only 150 calories. I I don't say that, but I think my head like 150 calories, like this is too small to be a snack. So why don't we add a little bit of X, maybe it's cottage cheese, you know, if they're short on protein, or I'll just say like, hey, you fell kind of short on your protein this week. Let's really focus on that next week and then give them guidance as to how they can add it in, in their daily routine. And then speaking of protein, like, do you also work with this sort of formula around weight, like the two to one ratio, or I don't know if I'm saying it right, but like, how much protein should, I know everyone's different. And, you know, it's a generalization, like around how much protein should women versus men, athletes versus non athletes be eating a day around? Yes. So I, I mean, this will depend on the training cycle, right? I mean, I have ranges that I use, um, and they're, they're, they don't vary drastically. Um, it also depends on what their goals are, right? Like if changing body comp, losing a little bit of weight, I might put them a little bit on the higher end of their protein ranges. So like, for example, like during base training, usually like 1.2 to 1.7, um, grams per kig. If we're building, that'll 
bump up a little bit, like 1.4 to 2 grams per kg. And then, um, of course, that'll adjust with your race cycle and then kind of that transition time as well. But those are kind of roughly right. um, where they fall. And I'll adjust, again, like on a case-by-case basis. But as a registered dietitian and a sports dietitian, you obviously see all kinds of clients. So, you know, when you're working on this periodization and mm-hmm. advising people on what to eat, you know, how, where do you, what point of their periodization are you like, you really need to up the carbs or increase your protein or, you know, for these workouts, I don't know, do you have, is that some, is that how you think like with your coaching and everything? The, the famous answer from every dietitian, it depends. Let's use me as an example. <laughs> okay. What should, I am like in the competition phase of my training. My race yep. is like five weeks away, four weeks away. Yep. I'm in denial. And <laughs> I'm still having oatmeal for breakfast and like barely eating and then having like a salad for lunch. And then I eat a ton. I'll try to eat a lot of food for dinner. And I know, you know, I log everything into Matt, my fitness and I, I look at it and I turn my head because I know I'm not getting enough food, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I just don't know, like, where should I get the food from? Should I have like a sweet potato every day? Should I be, yeah. What is, what is your advice for in this specific phase? What's your, what's your advice? Kind of in the build race cycle, definitely carbohydrates are going to be super important because you're still having intensity, right? Your volume yeah. hasn't backed off yet. So you need those carbohydrates. You should be doing pre-exercise snack and be practicing your in-competition fueling with the products that you plan to use on race day. That's super important. You have to train the gut to tolerate them, especially when we're throwing in heat, humidity, that intensity just physiologically, everything works a little bit different when you put all those conditions together. So that's definitely important. Obviously, protein is going to be important as well during this cycle. You know, it's basically, like I said, staying ahead of things because you're constantly, you know, in a build, even right now, five weeks out, you're still doing some, you're doing pretty big workouts. You're constantly dipping into your glycogen stores that store from carbohydrate. So it's like, you got to stay basically ahead. on the offense ahead of the game. So, cause like it can sneak up on you. I'll even admit I did a training camp for Lake Placid in 2018 before I raced it that year. And I had rode that course so many times and you know, I'm a, I'm a dietitian, you know, I was pretty on top of things, but I got out there, swam the 2.4 miles and then did like a two hour ride the day before I was going to do a seven hour ride on the course. And I was on that two hour ride and I was like, your girl is going to go to Stewart's. She's gonna get some Lucky Charms or Apple Cinnamon Cheerio. Like I am and just, yeah. I just need to eat all of the carbs because when you're training so much, it can sneak up on you like that. So you feel the wall. Super important. Yeah, <laughs> I felt the wall, and I was like, okay, I know fiber is important, but like we just gotta get, you know, in Lake Placid. There's like two grocery stores, but they're like a drive away. And it was like late in the evening. I was like, all right, Stewart's is next door. You're like, I'm going to like make my own bowl at the gas station from like paper. I'm just going to get eat the cereal out of the box. (laughs) I've been there. Like five bowls of cereal. So, you know, it, it sneaks up on you. So the more you can stay ahead of it and like in between sessions or after sessions, you know, really focusing on those complex carbohydrates, right? Your potatoes, your rice, your quinoa, because when you're in training and pre-training, you're not getting as many of those fiber rich foods. Yeah. We don't want those, right? Right. You don't want to have a lot of fiber on the bike. No, or out on a run. Yeah. So, you know, when we know we're kind of good and like away from our workouts, looking and you know, not every piece of food has to be like, complex carbohydrate, healthy fat. But since we're eating so much of those simple carbohydrates around our workouts, thinking about like, okay, I still need to restock and refuel. Let's make, try to make most of my options for those, those, you know, nutrient dense, complex carbohydrates. So the simple carbohydrates are like the gels and the bars and all the things that you're just eating for immediate energy and fuel as you're going. And the complex carbohydrates are more like a thoughtful vegetable or, you know, some bigger Type whole, grains. whole grains, quinoa, yeah. all those things. All of that is super important. And then 
you know, you mentioned practicing your fueling, which I know everyone listening to this who is an athlete definitely knows that. But whether they listen to it or not is a whole other story. <laughs> right. That, that'll never be new, but I will keep saying it because people yeah. keep not doing it. They're like, oh, I can't drink Gatorade. I was like, okay, did you train with it? They're like, no. I was like, well, yeah. If you're in an Ironman and that's the first time you grab a bottle of Gatorade, I would feel sick too. Yeah. Like, yes. I've, I've been testing out the Morton hydration carbohydrates and yes. I actually really, I wasn't able to, I only tried it once last, I think it was two weeks ago. I put the carbohydrates in my water bottle because what's happening is that, that my bars are melting yes. and it is disgusting. So I need to find another source because all of my races are going to be in the summer. And, you know, this has happened before, but I think I started these new bars last summer. I started using the gluten-free Cliff Builders. They have a lot of protein in them. They have 20 grams of protein. Yep. Yep. And I know they're not healthy, but anyway, moving on. I had, one, I had one as a snack this morning. <laughs> oh, my God. I like them. You know, I have a really sensitive stomach. So when I find something that's like working for me, I don't mess around. So I've been using the Cliff gels and the Cliff bars. I just started the Cliff bars last summer, but on, on bike rides and it was more summer fall. So nothing was melting, but now everything's melting. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is that bars always change their formula or they go out of business or it's very frustrating yeah. as an athlete to have to kind of like rethink that every year, but I yeah. do. So now I'm kind of in this space where I, you know, I was recently thinking about putting all my nutrition in my water bottles, which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of athletes do that. And I think it's a great idea. I mean, I've tried a few different products that have upset my stomach. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how important is the protein part of this on the bike? And do you have any suggestions for nutrition on the bike and yeah absolutely uh I definitely probably wouldn't recommend those cliff builder bars yeah <laughs> they're pretty high in protein yes for if I mean you can get away with a lot on the bike if you're just biking right you think about like the grand fondos that like people do for fun and like the buffet stations that they have yes and they're fine because they're not I mean, they're not hammering the bike. They're not then going to try and run a half marathon or a full marathon at a pretty decent clip off the bike. Um, So typically those are a little bit, actually a lot of bit higher in protein than I would recommend. Like a little bit of protein in long distance racing is important, but it's not anything typically over the top that I have people have. It's just like a couple grams like here and there, um, like in a bar or a honey singer walk or like some of those waffles that they make and solids. I'm a little like wary about, again, it's just looking at digestibility, right? Yeah. Your body is not going to prioritize digesting. That's like fiber and fat, right? We want to avoid those on race day, which I don't know how much fat those bars have. I, they, I don't think they have a lot. I, I think they I don't have a lot. I don't know. Yeah. I think I just ate one after the pool. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but your body isn't going to prioritize breaking down and digesting food when right. you're exercising. It's going to prioritize, you know, getting the oxygen to those working muscles. So that's why there's all of these sports gels, products, chews, et cetera, et cetera, drinks is because they're much more easily digested. And that's right. what we want. So we, your body can break it down and use get it. the fuel out to yeah. the muscles and use it right away. So, you know, again, everyone's a little bit different. The only thing about all liquid nutrition that makes me nervous is, you know, how many bottles I've seen fly off bikes and people are like, oh, I was crushing it. I was on pace for a 5.30, you know, five-hour Ironman bike split. But then I lost all my nutrition and then I had to walk the run. That's mm. basically my greatest fear with all liquid nutrition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, again, like going to digestibility, that's going to be so easily digested. So especially with someone who has tummy issues, it's a great option. I just, it makes me worry. <laughs> so the Morton carbohydrates I put in my water bottle and mm-hmm. I put, they have 40 grams of carbohydrates. They have two different ones, but I put 40 grams yeah. in one, just in one water bottle just to kind of see 
Like if it it was it actually was fine. I didn't feel nauseous or anything, which I was, you know, hoping I wouldn't because it is a good option. I mean, they have it's yeah. You know, I can't speak for the product in terms of like all the technology that's in these kind of the carbohydrate yeah. mix that they have. It's good. I mean, it I think also psychologically I feel like I have to eat things. So if I'm yeah. just drinking them, I don't know if that will work for me. I mean, I'm you know, I'm trying it out. You said some protein is important, right? So I might add just a little bit. The biggest thing is just the practicing, right? Seeing like, okay, I'm going to do a long, intense bike ride, but then I'm going to do a decent run because, you know, the last thing I want people to do is like get to mile eight on the run and then have this big brick in their stomach and be like, Ooh. I like the cliff. I mean, the cliff blocks don't have protein, but I like that as like a change of texture. So like, yeah, you don't have to do all liquid nutrition. Maybe you're sprinkling a gel in here, some blocks in there throughout. You know, when I look at fueling, like the, the 30,000 foot fuel it view is, are we getting enough fluids to meet yeah. our sweat rate? Are we getting carbohydrates? Are we getting enough sodium? And are we getting, going back to the carbohydrates, are we getting a few different sources of carbohydrates, a few different types? So that's where I start. And then how we make it, how I make it work for each person is obviously different, but that's kind of like the 30,000 foot view there. And you mentioned hydration and sweat tests. So obviously that is a very important component, especially now we're in these summer months and it's hot outside and people are racing. You can do your sweat test on your own. Yeah. How important is this to do the sweat test? How do you do the sweat test? And what kind of hydration should you be looking for once you figure it all out? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always different thoughts. There's ways that you can even test your sodium electrolyte uh, concentration as well. Of course, you don't really have to, you don't have to do that, right? That's a little bit more advanced. Something I recommend if we know someone's a very salty sweater, right? Right. If they're caked in salt and they feel like they can't keep up. Um, But just doing like a basic sweat rate test at home is a great place to start. So you start with yourself pre-exercise, then, you know, with, you can do it naked or technically if people can do it naked, it's ideal. And then do exercise. I typically say around an hour biking, like on the trainer, I think is the easiest. And then if you drink 24 ounces of liquid, you know, note that if you don't drink anything, obviously note that as well. Um, and then weigh yourself after you get off the bike. Obviously, it's ideal if you don't go to the bathroom during that hour bike ride. It's usually pretty easy. So you can subtract your post-exercise weight from your pre-exercise weight and you see how much weight you lost. Some people weigh their bottles before and after, like if you just drink, you know, if you don't want to be like, oh, you know, I drank 24 ounces, you can weigh your bottles. So subtract the weight of your bottles before and after to obtain the amount you consumed. And then you can calculate your sweat rate by doing weight loss plus the volume that you consumed divided by the time. So 60 minutes. So that will give you your sweat rate. Again, minimum amount of time, 45 minutes maximum amount of time, two hours, anything shorter can like mess up errors of multiplication in the equations. Anything longer can skew things by how your body uses fuel because you inevitably will burn glycogen during exercise and that can affect your body weight results as well. So that is a starting point to see, you know, how much you lost. So then roughly like 16 to 20 ounces per replace 16 to 20 ounces per pound of body weight loss like a starting point. Do you do this with your athletes every season or do people sort of tend to have like a sweat rate that is just their sweat rate for like five years? Yeah. Yeah. Sweat rate doesn't really tend to vary okay. too much. Cause like I've had some people who are like really gung ho to like get to Kona and they're like, okay, well I want to redo my sweat rate. I was like, you can do it, but I'm going to tell you, it's like not going to change that much. Yeah. Typically when I calculate it, most people, you know, they're coming around needing like a, a basic is I never let anyone drink fewer than 24 ounces of water on the bike, unless they're very small, very small. Like, well, I mean, depending on the, right. Are you talking about for an Ironman or for a half yeah. Ironman? Okay. Yeah. And even, a, even a half Ironman, really any race. Yeah. I kind of like, that's kind of like a general 
24 ounces again, cause it's such a great way to also get the carbohydrates that you need for fuel. Yeah. And unless someone has a really crazy sweat rate, typically keep people like, so I never typically go over 48 ounces per hour on the bike. Oh my God. Yeah. Or, I can't even yes. imagine that. But some people I have like have done a sweat test and they need that much. And then they'll be like, they'll write me an email. Like, this was, I had the best race ever. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like for me, I have to remember to drink water, but I do. I, I'm trained. I'm like, you know, I drink so much water, like all, it's not just race day, right? We're talking about hydration. I mean, yeah. I drink at least two to three of these a day minimum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. go through, I, I mean, and maybe that's not so good to drink so much water. I definitely am because I'm also like exercising all the time. So yeah. Yeah. I say hydration. So like for daily yeah. daily hydration, a like really good rule of thumb is half your body weight in ounces a day plus what you will lose in sweat. Oh, that's a so, good that's a good formula. I like that. Yeah. It's really simple. I mean, obviously it'll go up and down. But yeah, during racing, twenty four ounces of sports drink per hour on the bike, for sure. Because the idea is also, you know, if you get off the bike dehydrated and behind, like even dehydration of just 2% can have a negative impact on aerobic performance. So if you get off the bike behind on fluids, calories, et cetera, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're not, it's the downhill. run probably isn't going to go well. You and know? it's so really it's, hard to turn it around. So you've got to, again, you've got to be ahead of it. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of staying on top of things. You know, a lot of the fueling is on the bike. Yes. Because uh, it's just, easier. Again, yeah. Yeah, you got it. You know it. I think the bike is the easiest place to get all, as much nutrition as you can because it's harder yeah. when you're running. It's just more of a full body movement. Yeah, exactly. So it's setting you up. So obviously biking 56 miles, you know, 112 miles does require a lot, but it's making sure, you know, you're getting off the bike in a good spot so you can have the run that you, you know, are trained to have or are capable of. You know, the big thing also just with fluids is making sure, of course, carbohydrate and electrolytes, all important pieces of actually rehydrating your right. body. So, so you know, you, water is something I have people use sparingly during racing. Like you would rather them put noon hydration in their water. I would rather have them put some sort of sports drink on the bikes, whether it's the Morton, whether it's Gatorade Endurance, Tailwind, Scratch, Osmo. Basically, when I look at a bottle of sports drink, I'm looking for, you know, X carb to X carb, like 40 to 50 grams, 500 to 600 milligrams of sodium. And then what sports drink you use, I'm, I can be flexible, right? You know, as long as it right, fits. Right, it's not brand uh, specific, yeah. Yep. I mean, if you're doing an Ironman and you have a high sweat rate, I'm going to flat out tell you, like, Gatorade Endurance is what's on course. So you better train with Gatorade Endurance. Because That's if the you other need, thing, Yeah you know, 10 bottles over your bike, Godspeed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You better learn how to drink Gatorade. It's uh, 10 hours of your life or maybe 14. Exactly. Training the gut, you know, it's important. You know, when I would come back from off season and get back on the Gatorade endurance those first couple of weeks, yeah, my stomach would be upset. You know, I just took like a month or six weeks off, but now it's just like getting used to tolerating that again and be like, all right, again, this is what you have to do. I call it kind of like business feedings, right? Business nutrition. Because I want to race. It's also really important though, I think, when you're racing, you know, you have a strategy for your run and your bike and your swim and you know what zones you want to be in and where you want to be when you get off the bike or out of the swim. And so it's really important to also think about a strategy around your nutrition. So, I mean, it is a lot of oh, it's 20 minutes in and I'm going to eat this bar. Because a lot of the time what happens is you don't want to eat and you're not hungry. Do you yeah. have a system that works for you that you are, because you know, you've done 10 Ironmans and you're an athlete. Do you remember like when you're not hungry, are you like, oh my gosh, I have to eat this, you know, I have to drink this or I have to take this gel or, you know, even though I'm not hungry, like what, how do you get yourself to that place? Yeah, it's just business. I am like very good at executing. Um, Some of my former coaches will tell you that, you know, I was never the fastest, right? I I would finish in the top 15, you know, 10, 
one from the top 10 uh, for my age group for the Ironman, but I would always be in the top 10 to 15% of finishers. I would say my average time was a 1230, best an 1130. So I was not the fastest, but I was very good at putting the pieces together and executing an Ironman swim and like biking what I was able to bike and then putting together a decent run. Cause that's part of the challenge of Ironman is putting all the pieces together. Sure. You can bike a five hour bike in Placid, but then you just walked a five hour marathon, you know, is that really, <laughs> I mean, to each their own, but when it come, came to fueling, it was the same. This is business. This is what I have to do to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, I just, I thought of things within the hour, right? Because realistically, especially courses like Placid, Tremblant, Muskoka, you're climbing, you know, you're worried about what is this guy doing next to me? What's the road condition? So I just constantly check in and I trained by heart rate. So I was like, all right, where's my heart rate? Where am I on my fluids? Where am I on my food? And just constantly kind of go through that kind of circle within my head. Okay, am I up, you know, checking in? Like, do I need a little bit of extra salt? Do I, you know, how am I feeling? Do you use salt tablets? Yeah, I would use like the, not the, the capsules, but ones you can lick. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not a super salty sweater, so I would be fine with mostly what I would get from sports drink and some products. But like, especially if it was hotter, I, I always just bring some with me and yeah, just I kind of know that feeling. Like if I need a little bit more salt, I'm like, okay, I have caffeine. I'm up on my fueling, but I feel a little off. I'll take a lick of salt. And like, usually, um, I was like good to go, but I never needed anything aggressive. I feel like you're going to have a lot of phone calls after this conversation. Oh boy. How busy is your <laughs> schedule? Yeah. So what are you training for now? What, what are you doing any triathlons runs crossfit competitions like what do you have on oh, your man no <laughs> what do you have on your no, agenda my... for the summer <laughs> my dna test i laugh because i'm all in the endurance world right live in my aerobic zone it's totally my jam but my dna came up at like 96 like score of 96 out of 100 to be a power athlete i was like i totally missed the boat i know on this but um so this summer this year i'm in retirement those 10 Ironmans I did, I did them in seven years, plus like 15 half Ironmans and like 10 marathons, a 50 miler, long distance swim. So I went real hard. So I'm retired and I'm very open about this. Part of my retirement came with a rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, autoimmune condition. Um, you know, I did do two Ironmans after in 2019 after my diagnosis. And they were good, but it was kind of like, I felt like I couldn't perform and push myself like I used to, like in key bike workouts and key runs, like it just, you know, that when things click, you know, not yeah. every workout is great, but I just wasn't able to hit those numbers and that kind of next level. So I was like, you know what? I think it's time, you know? So still very happily retired, even though everyone is racing again. I did sign up for a full marathon in October. Okay, so you're retired from triathlon, but not endurance sports. I'm retired from Ironman and half Ironman. Okay. <laughs> but part of rheumatoid arthritis is being active is very important. Yes. Um, so, of course, my activity looks different. I have to listen to my body even more closely. And my doctor doesn't love the bike riding outside situation just because part of rheumatoid arthritis is it has affected my bone density despite being always a well-fed nourished female there has been bone loss as part of it so there are certain areas she's concerned if I have any high impact trauma actually after every appointment I have with her I see her every two to three months the office is like 10 minutes from a trail loop I like to do. Yeah. So I always change and go around trails as like my reward to myself for going through my rheumatology appointments. And she thinks I'm an absolute nut job. But. Yep. Most people think that um, athletes are nut jobs, like recreationally. Right? Yeah. It's all right. Um, so yeah, no, retirement is good. I bought a paddleboard, so... Oh, that's I mean, that's cool. more of a socializing thing for me. Yeah. In Buffalo, we have lots of water, Lake Erie, rivers, different places to paddle. So, you know, in our brief summer, it's really nice to enjoy that. More trail running. Maybe I'll dabble in a Olympic try, like a local one. Maybe I won't. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So, <laughs> and how are you feeling? Like you're 
you know, when we first spoke, you were kind of like just, well, I mean, you weren't just, but you were talking about, you know, having RA. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're in better spirits. Like you're, I don't know, did the marathon, signing up for the marathon get you in better spirits? I'm still wondering what I'm doing with that marathon because like running 26 miles, uh, (laughs) which used to be like, yeah. used to be like the end of my season after I would race an Ironman. Oh, I was like, I'll just sign up for a marathon. That's like so much less training. And like, I have fitness. I might as well use it. Spirits are good. I'm tend to be a a pretty positive person to begin with, but like having an autoimmune disease when you're used to being extraordinarily physically capable. Um, you know, there are days where I cannot open a jar of salsa and I live alone and I get really like upset um it's seeming to affect my hands the most okay which is also very frustrating um but it's also one of those things that's just like you don't know what the day is gonna bring and you're like some days are better than others and you know I'm in a in, in a better spot now that the sun is out and like COVID is simmering down we're back you know i'm vaccinated a lot of people around me are vaccinated because part of rheumatoid arthritis is immunosuppressed so i was a higher risk for covid the whole time because of the medications i was on so it's just like a compound of factors so you know it's 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 sometimes hard because i kind of feel like my i lost a little bit of my identity as an athlete and an individual but you know we're just we go for trail runs, hiking the Adirondacks, just try and move in different ways. And when I can like run fast and feel good, it's awesome. Um, but sometimes it'll sneak up on me and be like, you did too much this week, Stevie. Like you just need to chill. <laughs> How did you discover that you had RA? Like what was, what were some signs? Yeah. Great question. Uh, it was weird is, uh, the simplest way to put it. I, uh, it was fall of 2018. I had gone to Kona for work. I didn't race. I worked out there. I had trained for two Ironmans that year, but Ironman Florida got canceled. So I raced Placid in July, but then continued to train and had uh, that get canceled. So I was working like two, three jobs, going to grad school full time. And then I went to Patagonia with some of my friends from DC and did like this nine day whirlwind hike red wine, meat, sleep a few hours, get up, hike, as you do when yeah. you're in Argentina and Chile. And it was wonderful. But like the, that and the 40 hours of travel each way, I think just kind of triggered a stress response because rheumatoid arthritis is either genetic um, from an underlying like uh, infection or stress-induced. And I would love to see more information yeah. on how stress from endurance athletes and endurance sports and autoimmune disease. Um, I would love to look into that more. So I think it was like perfect storm of all of those things, but I was super tired, just wasn't feeling great. I like was having anxiety attack, you know, hives all over my arms. And I was like, what is going on? Right. I was like, something isn't right. So I had, I had an inside tracker test scheduled and some of my numbers came back super low, super weird. So Obviously, it's not diagnostic, so you know. So you, I called to, my doctor right. right away. I love that yep. about Inside Tracker that like they they'll tell you like talk to a doctor, like they offer yes. nutritional advice, but yep. when they see low numbers, they're like call your doctor. Exactly, and I was like, okay, I'm not just going crazy. My this blood work came back really weird. I'm gonna call my doctor. Thankfully, my general practitioner is amazing, and she's like, you know what? We're just gonna test everything you know we thought it could have been Lyme but then um a certain test my rheumatoid factor came off off the charts um and then you know I saw a rheumatologist and like she did like a simple test and she was like turn your wrist and I she's like how long have you not been able to move your right wrist and I was like excuse me she's like you can't turn it all the way without using your shoulder oh wow so she did that plus another, you know, antibody test. And she's like, yeah, you have RA. And I was like, what? I just turned 30. <laughs> yeah. That you should do that research and see what the, what the results are. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting, like, you know, just autoimmune disease and yeah, how these things happen, especially in women. Yes. Out of, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, a lot of it, I don't know, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I just, I think it's like fascinating. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very interesting. And, 
yeah, I don't know if there's actually any research done into it, but someone who does do research mentioned it to me when I first got diagnosed and I just, I haven't looked into it. <laughs> Are you also working for Inside Tracker still or? Yes. You do? Yep. I've been an Inside Tracker user since 2016, but I started working for them in 2018. Just part-time. This has been so awesome, Stevie. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 